James chapter 2, from the start. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Well, we're back in James, uh, carrying on this series in the book of James, and single-minded faith is kind of what we've called this series, because James's big issue that he's been wanting to address for his readers and us is double-mindedness. One foot in the, the church, one foot in the Christian faith, with the other foot in the world and the world's values. Do you remember Diane Lockhart? We talked about her a few weeks ago. A lawyer by day, kind of upright citizen, but in this government sort of resistance, anti-government group as well. She, she couldn't live both of those lives, living that double life. It, it wasn't doable. It was Jesus more profoundly says, you can't serve two masters, you can't live this kind of double life. I wonder how you're finding James so far as we're looking through it. Uh, maybe you're enjoying the fact that it's really sort of hitting real life, very practical, really lots of stuff to take away. Maybe you're enjoying that. Um, maybe, you're, maybe you're finding that it's shining a, a spotlight on your life, on your sin, and it's, well, it's a bit uncomfortable, a bit painful maybe. Maybe you've not really got going with it yet and, uh, and still want to sort of get into it a little bit more. But as I said in the first week, and I really mean this, if, if we take this to heart, what we're hearing in James, it will dynamically affect our day-to-day -day lives, speech, thoughts, actions. And that's very much the case as we come to chapter two today, because at the end of last week, 
end of chapter one, we saw that we're to humbly accept the word. But do you remember what else we're to do with it? We're to do it, to be doers of the word. And this chapter sort of shows us, starts showing us what it actually means to be a doer of, of the word, starts to unpack that. But we need God's help. And uh, I'm going to pray to God now as we begin. Father, we do want to humbly hear your word, um, but we do beg to ask you that it would be more than that, that we would become doers of it as well. Lord, what we're going to look at today is profoundly challenging, and your word, it, uh, it says in, in Hebrews, as we looked, uh, we're looking at in small groups, says that it is sharper than a double-edged sword, and we sometimes feel that as we approach it. But I pray that this word today will be one that is both challenging, but also uh, encouraging for our lives and that it would change us and make us more like the Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Pontins. We're going to have a little picture of it. I don't know if any of you have come across um, Pontins at all. Maybe you've been there in the past. It was in the news this week. I don't know if anyone saw this. It's a seaside holiday resort, but they're in big trouble uh, this week because it was revealed that they had a list of Irish surnames that were screened or blocked from being able to book holidays. So if you had a certain surname, Boyle, Gallagher, McGuinness, Murphy, O'Reilly, O'Donnell, and a few others, if you had that surname, that Irish surname, no, they weren't going to let you in. They were going to screen you out, block you, and it uh, came to light this week. I think Will Adams is listening in from Ireland. Just to clarify, Adams wasn't on the list. You're okay to go to Pontins this summer if you want. But obviously the, the various bodies that looked into this, the Equality and Human Rights Commission said, it's unlawful, you, you can't do this, it's discrimination, obviously. Um, Boris Johnson's spokesperson said it's unacceptable, it's shameful that this thing is still going on. And look, that Pontins example, uh, it's a bit of a frank example, isn't it? But, but actually, more subtle types of discrimination or favoritism happen all the time, don't they? You think of uh, maybe the classroom or the corridors, the offices up and down the country, where this kind of thing just goes on all the time. But as we come to chapter two, James doesn't take aim out there. He doesn't take aim at Pontins. Uh, Pontins wasn't around when he was writing, just to clarify. But he doesn't take aim at the world out there. He takes aim in here, or more precisely, in here. I've not been a minister for that long, fairly inexperienced in lots of ways, but every now and then people open up to me about things that they're maybe struggling with, stuff going on in their lives. No one has ever come to me and said, do you know what, Nathan, can we have a chat about favoritism going on in my life? I'm discriminating against that. No one's ever said that. I don't know, Jeremy or Kirsten or others, if you've ever had anyone coming up to you and saying that. But at Trinity, we need to hear this. We need to hear what James has got to say to us. And so the first point, as a sort of big heading really, is, is this. Very simply, no to favoritism, verses 1 to 4. Look at verse 1. It's the headline, really, of the passage. My brothers and sisters, James says, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. It's very clear. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can't show favoritism. It's double-minded, isn't it? To profess one thing with our lips, but then to show something else with our actions, it's double-minded. It's incompatible. It's a bit, I don't know, like a 
someone proclaiming that they're a vegan, telling everyone very keenly that they're a vegan, but then on the side having a bacon sarni once a week. You, you just can't live like that, that kind of double life. And James, actually, the, the word that he's using for favoritism is, is a slightly unusual word that literally means respecting the face. In other words, James says, you're judging people for what they look like, their appearance. And actually, he gives a, an illustration. It's, uh, as John was reading, I don't know if you picked up on it in verses two and three. Let me read them out again. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, oh, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there, sit, sit uh, on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Whether this was hypothetical or uh, James has heard about this actually happening in the church, I don't know, but it's not hard to imagine, is it? Just imagine it for us. Guy comes through the door called Hector, an Oxford graduate, um, living in Middleton Square, job in the city, comes in with a skinny flat white from ground control at the end of the road there that costs £5.60 or whatever it is. And he's wearing brogues, Rolex, a couple of signet rings on, sharp suit, and he smells of wealth, status, respectability. And we don't give him the seats behind the pillars, but we say, oh, come and sit at the front. Consider the front of the church. A few minutes later, another guy comes in, Gary, Gaza, his mates call him, and he shuffles in and uh, was a bit of an odour, to put it politely. His clothes are disgusting. He comes in with a McDonald's coffee with three sugars in. No two metre distancing or, or one metre plus. And we say, um, we wouldn't want him to distract people kind of from hearing the sermon and those kind of things. So it'd probably be quite helpful to maybe pop him at the back, um, behind, the, behind the pillar, fine, yeah, that's okay. And as you see Hector and Gaza come in, and uh, imagine that we're having coffee still at the end of the service that we will hopefully not see just in the future. Um, you go over to coffee and you see these two guys, Hector and Gaza, you see them there. Who do you approach? He prioritise in conversation at the end. For nine out of ten of us, I think we know the answer probably, don't we? James says that's an issue, verse four. Let me read that again. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Answer, yes, we have. And James slows down and he diagnoses what, what's happened in our heart in that very moment. We put ourselves in God's place. We think we know better than Jesus, who is valuable and who's not. We think that one guy is morally superior and he's a, he's a better fit for the kingdom. He's a better fit for church. Why? All because of the way that he's turned out. That's it, isn't it, really? Brothers and sisters, this shouldn't be. It's not just unfortunate or inevitable, but verse four, it's, it's evil. It's double-minded. It's the way of the world. Favoritism, partiality then, showing it in this way, it's an issue that's not just plagued today. 
uh, or the time of James's writing. It's, it's every generation, it's every culture, isn't it? So Leviticus, if you want to go back to verse uh, 15 of chapter 19 of Leviticus, the writer there, do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Some of you might have come across um, the Salvation Army, uh, William Booth, a man called William Booth. So the Salvation Army, maybe you're familiar with the brass bands and charity shops, but of course the, the church uh, as well, that the William Booth set up many, uh, a couple of hundred years ago. And the reason that he established it was because he noticed that there were never any poor people in the church. Uh, his church where he was, um, the poor were allowed to come in, but they had to enter through a side door. So all the sort of respectable people came in the main entrance and, and the poor, they were allowed to come, but they had to come in the side. That obviously meant that they didn't come. And uh, the minister of the church uh, sat on a respectable plush red throne. Uh, Jeremy and I have talked about getting one. No, we haven't talked about getting one of those. But they were, he was sitting on that. And well, the poor never came in. So William Booth said, oh, there's an issue here. There's a problem. Um, so what he did one night, one evening service, he went onto the streets in London and just brought a load of kind of poor men and women in off the streets um, into the church service. So during the first hymn, everyone was singing along very nicely, and he brought these people kind of down down the aisle in the church, and um, and the, you know the mill managers and the, the well dressed folk and the shopkeepers stared as these people came through in the church, and it, it didn't go down well. In fact, it. William Booth was so frustrated by how people didn't welcome other people that he had bought that he then established the Salvation Army a few years later after there was no change in his denomination. Of course, it would be lovely to park it there, wouldn't it, with Leviticus and James and, and the Salvation Army stuff so long ago. We've not got any plush red thrones here. We've got side doors, but everyone comes in the main door. This isn't an issue at Trinity, of course, is it? Or is it? So you and I are, are guilty all the time of, of respecting the face, judging people on appearances. Very close to today, um, getting a couple of people, a couple of friends to come in that no one here knows and get someone to pretend to be Hector and someone to be pretend to be Gaza at the back, just to kind of make that illustration really sort of sink in. Um, but social distancing and traveling and all those things, it didn't quite happen. But, but I wonder what we would have done if, if they had come in the building. See, true faith has no place, James says, for the social distinctions of the world. Whether it's subtle or the not so subtle puntins kind of list of people that aren't allowed in. So every church needs to make a decision. What, what will win out? Will it be the world's values on this stuff? Or will it be the culture of God's word. Because James, he does care about what we know and what we think, but he also cares about what we do. And so it's right for me as I prepared this this week and maybe for you as well, to repent of times where we've had evil thoughts, where it's led to favoritism. And so James says no to favoritism, but two reasons particularly we're going to look into why, why that is. First of all then, because favoritism, uh, sorry, favoritism contradicts the gospel. Look at verse five. Let me read from that. 
Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor. Verse five then, listen, listen up. Okay, I'm writing, you need to listen to this bit. And he's not saying that all poor people are saved. He's also not saying that rich people can't be saved. The Bible would speak elsewhere about that. Rather, he's showing that there's a pattern in the Bible. There's a pattern in the Bible that, that the economically poor are more likely to realize their spiritual needs than the rich. You see it all the way through the Bible. Jesus said, didn't he? It's easier for the, for the camel to go through the eye of the needle than the, the rich to enter into the kingdom of God. Or as Paul puts it on this slide in 1 Corinthians 1, he says, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose, chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. It's a pattern that we see all the way through the Bible. And actually, if you look around the world today, um, look around the world, you, you can see that, of course, Christians come from all different cultures, all stratas of society. But actually, the majority of Christians, it seems, come from economically poor countries. The global south, Christianity is exploding. Because God values, his, his values mean that at the foot of the cross, there is a level playing field. Does that make sense? At the foot of the, the cross, before Jesus Christ, there's a level playing field where there's no partiality, where there's no favoritism. And so if that's the case, James is saying, why would we shun those very people that God goes out of his way to welcome? And James really, in this point, wants to remind us of the gospel. That if you've been a Christian for a few years, it's, it's sometimes easy to, to fall into the trap, isn't it, of thinking there's something valuable in me, my abilities, my gifts, my wealth, my morals, and that's the thing that qualifies me to become a Christian or to be a Christian. But James says, no, no it's mercy. It's mercy, God's mercy. And aren't you grateful that, that in his mercy, in God's mercy, he didn't say to you, oh, uh, you're not really my type of person. There's no undesirables, list of undesirables in the kingdom of God. And so showing favoritism, it, it forgets, or it, worse, it, it contradicts that very gospel that we proclaim. Maybe you're listening in or you're hearing, you're not a Christian. And you think that perhaps to be a Christian means that you've got to become presentable before God would accept you. No. <laughs> Becoming a Christian means admitting your spiritual poverty. Humbly coming before God, bringing nothing in your hands. Not becoming respectable, but accepting his mercy. Second little reason that he gives. No to favoritism, because favoritism breaks God's law. Breaks God's law. Look at verse eight, again in the passage. James says this, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. He talks then here about the royal law. Maybe familiar with that, maybe not. 
It's where Jesus, do you remember in the Gospels, he sort of summarizes the law in the Bible and those two great commandments, love, love your God and love your neighbor. And James says, look, if you're doing that, if you're, if you're loving your neighbor, then you're doing right. That's great. But if you're showing favoritism, and you are, then that's sin, and you're a lawbreaker, and that, that's serious. And James anticipates our, our objection that maybe we would have at this point, where we say, but I've, I've never murdered anyone. I, I've never committed adultery. Um, I've just done what everyone else is doing. It's no biggie, is it? C come on. It's just a favoritism. Everyone shows favoritism. But James says, no, it is a biggie. <laughs> it is a big deal. Um, in our household this week, we found a, a wine glass with, a, with quite a big chip in it. You probably can't see it from where you are. Um, I must have happened doing the washing up or something. I, I don't think it was me that chipped. I'm not going to blame Charlotte from the front here that it was her, but make your own conclusions. Maybe it was Micah. Um, but anyway, there's a, there's a chip in this wine glass, but we're going to have to throw it away because you don't want to cut your lip open on a chip. And, and although it doesn't maybe look that big a deal from where you are or watching online, actually this chip has broken the whole thing. We're going to have to throw this in the bin. It doesn't work anymore. And James is saying that with, with the law as well here, that if we've committed the, the sin or broken the law with favoritism and it's just that little chip, it's essentially what we've done there. So we can't justify disobedience in one area saying, but I'm doing well in everything else. We're lawbreakers. And all sins, including favoritism, James says, is major. So no to favoritism. It contradicts the gospel. It breaks God's law. What's that mean then? What's that mean in this last bit? So what, if you like? Well, we're to be people who lovingly show mercy. Look at verse um, 12. James says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So as he concludes this here, this is really important that we hear. He's saying that if we're showing favoritism or, or judgment and refusing to ever extend mercy to other people, then we're showing that we've never really understood the mercy that we've been shown. Does that make sense? If, if we're never extending mercy and love and kindness towards other people, refusing to do that, it shows we've, we've never really understood that gospel mercy that we've received ourselves. Do you, remember, do you remember the story Jesus tells about this? I was thinking about this in the week, uh, Matthew 18, pretty sure it is, with the, the parable of the unmerciful servant. I think we looked at it small groups in person. Feels about 10 years ago, but it was last year, I think. And do you remember that the guy had a humongous debt, humongous debt and money that he owes to the king? And the king said, Pay up, I want the money. And he said, I can't, I don't have it. And so amazingly, the, the king forgave him all his debt, wiped this humongous amount of debt and forgave him all of that. It was amazing. But then do you remember what he did? This servant that had been forgiven. He then went to someone who owed him a, a tiny bit of money and said, pay me the money now. And this person said, oh, I, don't, I don't have, the, I can't do it. 
And rather than extending mercy to him, he had him thrown into prison. Doesn't make sense, does it? This guy that's just been forgiven billions or whatever it was, doesn't forgive someone who owes him just a few quid. But that's what's going on here. If we refuse to show mercy consistently, it shows that we've not understood the gospel. And James says it results in, in judgment, verse 13. Yet if we're hearing James, we'll want to do something about this in our lives. We'll, we'll want to show mercy because we've been shown mercy. When we're thinking rightly, and I know it's not all the time, but when we want to think in this single-minded faith kind of way, we'll remember the mercy we've been shown and want to show that to other people. So practically, what does it look like? Well, it's not too long uh, in, the, in the future where we'll be in groups of six, um, meeting again or um, having people over to uh, houses, maybe for dinner, welcome teams up and running, uh, those, kind of, those kind of things. Where do you think at, at Trinity it is that we maybe show favoritism? Uh, who do we pay special attention to? Is it people of a certain age maybe, or a certain class, or money, or education, or, oh, they've come from this church. Oh, welcome, come to the front row. Look, all of us are endlessly making judgments on people's appearance, and, and the world says that's fine. The Bible says when it's accompanied by evil thoughts, it's not. So let's pray that God would reveal some of our blind spots as a church, but also individually as well. Of course, predominantly, just compared to the rest of the world, particularly at Trinity, we're, we're well off, some very successful. Will Trinity be a place where, where everyone's welcome, where everyone feels welcome? It was really sad to hear a few years ago, not, not at Trinity, but another church, not too dissimilar to Trinity. And... Um, and, and a guy came through the door, never, never heard anything about Christianity before. He loved it. He had some great sermons. He had the gospel. Fantastic. He loved it. Became a Christian. Um, but he said he, he, he was so put off by the preacher, just only ever sort of all his illustrations were sort of um, boarding school type, you know, jokes about cricket and rugby and those kind of things. And he just felt that this, this isn't a kind of church for me. I, that's, that's not me. And, and he went somewhere else. It's really sad, isn't it? And so in our sermons, for, for me preaching, and small groups and our small talk, let's, let's not make middle-classness a, a qualifier for the kingdom. Wearing a certain type of chinos, or made sure I didn't wear them today, but um, not wearing a certain type of, of chinos, or bragging about the long reads in The Guardian that we've been enjoying, or, or going to a certain Greek island on holiday. Well, like I know all of those things are fine, but... Let's just be careful that we don't make that a qualifier for the kingdom. But I think where it hits a little bit more is, is more seriously a warning to guard against valuing self-sufficient people who come in over needy people. People who give, whether that's time, energy or finances to the church, rather than people who take. It's a challenge. And that's not just as a leadership team. Uh, or, or a welcome team, but that's all of us. And just historically, from, from what I'm aware, Trinity have, have often got that really right, and there's some wonderful examples of this kind of mercy just being shown. It's fantastic. But there's also historically times where we've let people down. People have been hurt. And so it's an area that we need to hear and we need to grow in.
But as we, we finish, if it feels simply today like a pull your socks up, do better, love people a bit more, come on, what are you doing? Then I'll have failed my job. <laughs> because of the end of verse 13, mercy triumphs over judgment, as Jeremy highlighted that. See, our story is one, isn't it? That we're lawbreakers. We're lawbreakers. He deserved judgment but because of our sin, but, but we have been shown mercy by God. See, at the cross, mercy, when Jesus died, mercy triumphed over judgment as Jesus Christ, once for all, took our, our judgment for us and our, our law-breaking, all of that, that that we deserved on us fell on Jesus. And so, brothers and sisters here and, and watching online, we have been showered in mercy that though we were poor, we have been made spiritual billionaires in the gospel. Or as 2 Corinthians 8, 9 puts it, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that ye, through his poverty, might become rich. So it's when we remember the gospel, when we remember the mercy that we have been shown, that we'll want to lovingly extend that mercy towards other people and show kindness and love to others. And look, I know this has happened at Trinity, and that's brilliant. But wouldn't it be lovely if, if everyone who came through the doors, everyone in the church, knew this kind of open arms, open arms sort of respect, that they felt respected, that they felt listened to, that they felt loved as they came into this church family. Not so that they say, Trinity Church Islington is amazing, but so that they say, no, the Lord Jesus Christ is wonderful. Wouldn't that be great? And we pray for that now. And then Ben's going to come up and continue leading us in prayer. Father God, thank you so much that mercy has triumphed over judgment. Thank you for the mercy that we have been shown in our lives when we were spiritually poor, when we deserved nothing. And thank you that that gospel is, is our story. Lord, some of us will have forgotten that gospel this week. Um, some of us, maybe it's been a while since we remembered that, that we're spiritual billionaires. Pray that you would plant that seed deeply in our hearts now. And Lord, if it was in our own strength, we would never be able to live this out. And often we will fail. I, I know in my heart the times where I failed. But Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would transform us to be people who show mercy and kindness. And so point people towards the mercy that you have shown to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.